continuing our series from 1 Peter, and our scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Peter 3, verses 8 to 12. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. I should tell you that we have some ladies in our church who are training hard these days. They're uh, training for a half marathon or a 12K or 6K run in Canmore on May the 13th. So I have to say to them, good on them. Uh, and uh, did they just start their training? No, uh, they've been training all winter. And fortunately, it's been a, a decent winter to train. But they're out there in the midst of the elements, running and getting ready and tearing up the turf and uh, a couple of times a week or more. And they're now doing hill training, running up hills, gaining endurance, gaining strength, all as a means of preparing themselves for the day on May the 13th. Do they have my admiration? Yes, they certainly do. I think it's a great idea for them. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not doing it, but, uh, you know, and if you're actually doing it, one of the great joys is appreciating the progress that's being made. It's nice to make progress, and so, ladies, uh, I want to say I admire you. I also admire uh, Willow Creek Community Church under the leadership of Dr. Of, of Bill Hybels. A lot of people have taken shots uh, at this large church in suburban Chicago. It's been the pace setter for what uh, has been called seeker churches. And today that emphasis is not at all what it used to be years ago. But the one thing I admire is that they've looked at their congregation and they've asked the question, are we growing in maturity? And so they've been honest enough to really look, and they've, uh, they've done some research, collected the data, written it up in a book called Reveal. And they, they uh, are transparent enough to say, you know, there are some things in our congregation that are not working very well, uh, as well as we would like them to. For example, we thought if everybody was serving, if we just got everybody involved somehow and got them serving, that surely that would translate into spiritual growth. And they discovered that it doesn't always translate into spiritual growth. So you can have a lot of people active, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're growing in their walk with the Lord. I want us to look at a passage this morning and just ask a tough question, an honest question. Am I growing? Just to be honest enough to ask it personally. Uh, Am I growing? I think it's a great idea. But no... Am I growing? And am I willing to ask the question, how long have you been a follower of Jesus Christ? Maybe a year? A couple years? Five years? Ten years? Some 20 years, perhaps? 
There might be people here who are followers of Christ for over 50 years. I'd have to put up my hand. Yes. Ken, are you still growing? Are you growing by leaps and bounds? You're growing just a little bit. Can't even really tell if you're growing. I'm asking myself the question. It's not meant to be a paralyzing, guilt-ridden question. For me, it's a motivational question. Am I growing? What would be the measuring stick? How would I know if I'm growing? If you're like me, I ask that question. And sometimes I have a hard time getting some tools for assessment. Because if I just go by my feelings, well, I may feel differently tomorrow than I do today. Am I growing up? Now, does growing up mean that our hair starts to turn gray? Is that growing up? No, it simply means we're growing old. Showing signs of age doesn't necessarily mean that we're growing, showing signs of maturity. You know, I don't know. Sometimes we have a sense that older people are all put together. Do you ever have that when you're a kid? You're growing up. Oh, they're all put together. They're wise and they're discerning and they're sensitive. And they really got it all together. And then you discover, well, that's not always true. Growing old is not the same as growing up. Well, someone might ask the question, are we really supposed to grow? Is it not just fine to come to Christ and park it for the rest of our lives? What is this business of growing up? And Hebrews chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 6 is pretty clear. The writers say in, in 5.12, You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature. The very beginning of chapter 6, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Am I growing up? I, I found some assessment tools. I found some assessment tools. They're right in the text. And I'd like to help unpack them this morning for 15 minutes or so. There are seven checkpoints to help you get a handle on whether you're growing. Maybe at the end of today you could kind of say, Ah, here's some, here's some help for me. Let's write the first one down. Unity. Verse 8. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Now, this sentence comes on the heels of a lot of talk from Peter on the subject of submission. Norb did a wonderful job, by the way, last week uh, with 1 Peter 3, uh, a passage reminding us of how husbands and wives can create meaningful relationships and meaningful marriage by learning how to honor one another and learning how to submit and care for one another. And now Peter is taking us to another level. He's speaking to the Christian community. And he's saying, live in harmony as followers of Christ. Live in harmony, the body of Christ. The word is translated as one mind, unity, being together, akin, it has the same connotation as the word over in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, on the day of Pentecost. Remember when the apostles were waiting in the upper room, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and empower them for ministry. It says, now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one 
accord. There's that word, in one place. It's descriptive of the oneness and the harmony of the early believers who were the, the genesis of this new church. They were together, not just physically, but relationally, they were together. And I see it all over the place when believers are together in unity that God steps in and does amazing things. When believers are together in unity, God steps in and does amazing things. And when the unity is not there, it's kind of like God steps out. And we stumble and we can't get momentum and we struggle. You can just see it. I never take for granted the special season that God has granted to TCC. I pray the season never ends. I tell you a secret, friends. This is very special. I cherish it, and I'm grateful that you too recognize the strength that comes through unity. Thank you for protecting that unity. Guard it. Cherish it. Pray that the unity of the body would continue among us as we're privileged to experience it. It's a wonderful gift. God steps in powerfully when there is unity. It's amazing what he does. Oneness of heart. Agreement on the major points of doctrine. In a congregation this diverse, will we find agreement on every detail of doctrine? No. Not looking for it. But agreement on the major points of doctrine. Learning to major on the majors, minor on the minors. We sometimes get a little sidetracked with our pet theologies. Health and wealth. Who will be left behind? When will it happen? How many Isaiahs were there? Or any number of secondary issues. Meanwhile, God makes it clear. He wants us to get along, be in harmony with one another. And he makes it clear that doing so is foundational to Christian living. Unity. It's not the same as uniformity. It's not about everybody looking alike, dressing alike. It's, it's not a cookie-cutter mold. And everyone has to be of the same mold, and we must agree. That's uniformity. And you can have uniformity and not be of one accord. And it's not unanimity. 100% across the board. We must agree on everything. No, sometimes we will disagree, but it won't interrupt our harmony. I mean, how could you have three or 400 people and have unanimity? <laughs> Very difficult. And yet, I've been blown away by the fact, uh, by the way in which We've been on the same page. Uh, some of you will remember we had a vote on the purchase of the land a year and a half ago or more. And it was a 100% vote to purchase the land. Where would you ever get a 100% voting on anything? It's exceptional. However, unanimity is not the basis of harmony. One of the ways that we can measure our maturity is how we're living in unity, in harmony with the body of Christ. Even when we have different thoughts, 
even when we have different views, but we have the big picture before us. How do we live in unity? When we're living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and we're in tune with him, it's amazing what it does on the horizontal level with our brothers and sisters in Christ. When there is disharmony and disunity in the church, sin is present. The solution is spiritual. It's not organizational. If you're like me, we'll try to solve it on the organizational side. But, and that's a natural response. Solve it organizationally. But it's a spiritual issue. How are you doing in the area of unity? Can you measure your maturity in this area? It's a checkpoint. How am I doing with unity, harmony, one accord? The second word is perhaps what I will just call care. Care. Actually, Peter writes, be sympathetic. It carries the understanding here of feeling with someone. The root word is sympathy, but it means mutual interest. It means mutual concern. It means caring for one another. And the term promotes the sense of being able to come alongside of someone with the absence of competition. I'm not trying to outdo you. I'm not trying to win. I'm here with you in your joy. I'm here with you in your sorrow. It doesn't mean comparison. Paul captured the thought in Romans 12:15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Once again, um, the tragedy that is before us as you're watching your television sets these days is the, is the story of little Tory Stafford in Ontario. Breaks my heart to hear that story over and over again. She was taken from her school environment, lured into a car, taken out into the country where she was abused and killed. We feel that pain. And, and the country feels that pain. We see the anger in the father that his child would be so mistreated. If that was my daughter, I would be so in need of the grace of God to protect my heart. We can understand his anger. He says he can never forgive this. We can understand that. In our world, this quality is not often admired, caring. We protect ourselves in this world by being tough, not allowing feelings to get through to us. I won't allow myself to feel pain because I don't want to carry it. Pray for those in the healing profession. Many of you, doctors and nurses and caregivers, those who see so much pain, they have to balance their own well-being with entering into the pain of those they serve. How do you do that? How do you become sympathetic and yet how do you protect yourself? That's a tough balance. There's a lot of pain in the world. I speak to many of you who are going through pain of one kind or another, relational pain, physical pain, mental pain, financial pain. Here's a checkpoint to tell us not to get too hard-hearted toward each other. The impact of our home groups, I can't say enough. They're so critical because here's a place where care is given and received. We don't really know how much the pressure is relieved, the valve pressure is relieved by our, our home groups. It's like, whew, 
a place, a safe place. Here's a place where we can stop and pray and ask God to be the source of our strength and peace for hurting hearts. Thank you for all that you do in helping to release that pressure in the body by being part of a home group and by leading a home group and by coming alongside of helping and praying and supporting and sympathizing without competition, without comparison. And you simply give yourself. I know that's demanding. It's draining at times. But here is a check mark of maturity. When God blesses someone else, do you applaud that? When a person goes through a tough time, do you show concern and find a way to come alongside? You're growing when you have a concern for others that outweighs the concern you have for yourself. Checkpoints. Unity. Care. Here's the third one. Authentic friendships. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. There are three Greek words for love in the New Testament. Eros, Philadelphia, and agape. This is the word Philadelphia. And it means brotherly love. Of course, that's why the city of Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. I've never been there. I don't know whether it really is a city of brotherly love. Some of you are shaking your head. You've been there and you don't think it is. It's probably like any other major city in the world. It's full of problems as well. This checkpoint is a reminder that we are members of the family of God. That was fun to sing that chorus, uh, by the way, two or three weeks ago. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I haven't sung that for years. It was just great to have that come back and refresh us. Paul says in Romans 12.10, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. There's nothing like having someone to call when you're feeling like you need some support. Who are you going to call? Who will stand with you? Someone who has an authentic friendship. Someone who loves you with a brotherly, sisterly love. When you're going through a tough time and you feel so all alone, what an incredible blessing to be able to go to that telephone or that email or get in your car Meet your friend for coffee and talk. Few things are more difficult in this world than not having anyone to call, to have to bear it all alone. A pastor by the name of Jay Kessler, he's a writer as well, he set some goals for his life. And he tells this story that he wrote that one of his goals was to wind up with at least eight people who would attend his funeral without once checking their watches. (laughs) I love it. They would be willing to carry his coffin without ever having to take a quick look at their watch and say, i got to get going. Do you have eight people who would attend your funeral without checking their watches? A wonderful way to say it, just developing friendships. Do you have a dozen people, 20 people who would carry your coffin and not feel like, oh, I'm just too busy to be here. A man who had no spiritual, had no interest in spiritual matters related rather casually to his Christian neighbor. They walked, they talked over the back fence. They borrowed lawnmowers and stuff like that. 
And then the non-Christian's wife was stricken with cancer. And she died three months later. Here's part of the letter that this man wrote afterwards. He wrote, I was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparations and the service like I was in a trance. After the service, I went to the path along the river and I walked all night. But I didn't walk alone. My neighbor, afraid for me, I guess, stayed with me all night. He didn't speak. He didn't even walk beside me. He just followed me. And when the sun finally came up over the river, he came over and said, let's go get some breakfast. I go to church now, my neighbor's church, a faith that can produce that kind of caring and love my neighbor showed me is something I want to find out more about. I want to love and be loved like that for the rest of my life. Are there a few people in your circle who will stand by you in your time of need? And will you stand by them? That's a check of maturity. That's a check of maturity. Well, these are all check marks. Unity, care, affectionate friendships. And look at the next one, tender-hearted. Peter uses the word in the New International Version, compassionate. Actually, it's quite a word that means deep-seated feelings from the depths of the abdomen or even the intestines. Sorry to be so blunt. The ancients believed that the abdomen, the bowels, were the seat of the emotions. Real authentic concern was seated right in the abdomen. And Jesus used that same word in Matthew 9.36. He looked out over the people and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he felt for them. And he was moved in the very depths of his being. That's a mark of maturity, being tender-hearted, being compassionate. It's a crazy world, isn't it? Fast-paced. You see someone in trouble and you tell yourself, I can't stop. This is the white man. This is the Anthony Hende. Oh, look, I'm gone. Too. It's too far now. I can't turn back. They might mug me. And we do need to be wise. But in this high-tech world, video games, popping people off all over the place, blowing them to smithereens, it eventually catches up to us, catches up to our society. It puts a film over our hearts, and it changes us from being tender-hearted to callous-hearted. A sign of maturity is keeping your heart tender sensitive to the people around you, concerned about the loss. Oh, I hope we never lose our tender hearts for those who are still on the journey and have not come yet to a personal faith in Christ. I hope we never lose our tender hearts there. Check marks. How are we doing? Unity, care, authentic friendships, tender-hearted. Here's the fifth one. Humility. The New Living Translation says, be humble in attitude, or others say, be humble in spirit. It's, the, it's the, an attitude that fills your heart and mind. Not just the appearance of being humble, but truly humble. 
It means lowly and bowed down in mind. You know, you could walk among people in, in, our, in our world and, and some people have progressed a long ways. They're tremendous academics. They're tremendous business people. They've, they've done a lot of things. And it could be that before long you start believing your own press clippings. Or you depart from the attitude that got you to where you're at. Humility. There's a danger to starting to believe your own stuff. But that's a mark of maturity, that nothing changes you. And you remain bowed down in mind before Jesus. What does humility look like? Well, it looks like maturity. Being able to trust somebody with responsibility. You don't need to supervise a person who's mature. Let them go. They're mature. A person who is mature can carry money and not spend it all. That's a person that's mature. A person who is mature through humility doesn't need to get even when an injustice has been done. How are you doing in humility and surrendering your whole life to Jesus? Check mark. Got to go fast here. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Here's a tough one to see if you can really put a check mark beside this one. This whole area of forgiveness. Peter writes, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Friends, is this ever a verse? I'll tell you. We could have camped right here on this one for the whole sermon. This is about our willingness to forgive someone else. And throughout life, you'll never be short on people to forgive. I promise you. We only have a moment here. But just look at the steps in this verse. First is a refusal to retaliate. Do not repay evil with evil. There is a refusal to get even and keep throwing gas on the fire. More gas, more gas, bigger blaze. You put it to bed and you find a way to hold back. Hold back. Second, there is the thought of returning good for evil. Good for evil. Wow. Do you repay evil with evil or insult with insult? Or do you put a blessing in there? You do something nice in return for something bad. Now that's a measure of maturity. You do something nice for something bad. How are you doing with that one? And then thirdly, notice, because you were called so that you would inherit a blessing. Can you see that you were put on earth at, at least at times for the purpose of taking the brunt of something? without retaliating. That is a tough one. How do I know I'm growing up? When this becomes characteristic of our responses, we're willing to forgive. When I stop fighting back, when I take that big chip off my shoulder that's been sitting there, and I just let it go. When I refuse to give my little one-line zingers that I get used to, Formulating in my mind and zing, it's right to you. You got it. Sarcastic responses. Take that one. You'll know you're growing up when you can get it off your shoulder 
and deal with forgiveness. Last one, controlling the tongue. You knew we'd get to this one. Verse 10, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Paul, or Peter, is quoting from Psalm 34 in these verses. The tongue gets us in trouble more than any other member of the body, doesn't it? A little member that it is. And that's what James says. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Huge forest, just a little slip of the tongue. One of the greatest words of counsel about the tongue is found in Psalm 141, verse 3. I urge you to write down the reference and look at it. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. What a prayer. If we prayed that verse every day of our lives, we would experience what Peter says. And I hope you caught the first part of verse 10 of 1 Peter 3. It says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil. It's easy to read past that little phrase. But if you just get that, it's absolutely true. For whoever would love life must control his or her tongue. Life is a lot happier when we control our tongues. The tongue gets us in so much trouble. I, I was thinking yesterday or the day before, don't you wish there would be an automatic muzzle that would just flip into place? I was thinking if there's some designers out there, it could be neatly tucked in behind the neck here. The collar would come up. And then whenever you thought of something or were about to say something, it would be like a trap that would just come flying over your head, maybe invisible, hopefully, and it would just muzzle you. Oh, somebody would get rich if they could invent something like that. How do we know we're growing up? Self-control with the use of our tongue. When somebody tells us something, we refuse to spread it all over the place. When our child, our spouse, our friends share some deeply confidential information, they know that our lips will not repeat it. When we have a certain amount of information, we will not rush to pronounce judgment without having all the facts. A mark of maturity is a tongue that's under control. Well, my friends, uh, these are seven check marks. There's certainly not all the check marks. There's seven to assess our spiritual maturity. Are you stronger in some and weaker in others? Sometimes, honestly, I struggle with them all. And then I maybe do a little better in one area and not so good in another area. God wants us to grow. Not just grow old and never make any significant changes in our lives. He wants us to grow up and experience the transformation through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is wanting to work in all of these areas so that we become a, a loving community of Jesus Christ.